You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I am so glad you're here because this is the most important question that any of us can ever ask, who is God? I want to pause for a second. And in your mind, in your mind right now, when you think of that question, don't answer out loud. What thoughts come to mind? Who is God? I think, I think this question is the most important question that you could ever ask because this is the question that shapes and guides every other part of your life. It's the question, it's the question at the center of every single person that has ever lived. It's the question that we spend our entire lives exploring. And for some of us, we didn't even know, but we've already answered that question. By maybe saying, hey, I'm the God of my life. That what I want is what matters most. And so that's what life is about, that I'm the God of my life. And what I want to talk about tonight is I want to intro this series. And we're going to get into one aspect of who God is tonight. But the reason I think this is such an important question for all of us to ask is because the opposite question is the one that I think we more often ask. And the opposite question is this. Who do I want God to be? And notice the question we're not asking is that. We're not saying, who do you want God to be? We're saying, who is God? And even though there's only a few words difference in that question, it makes all the difference. Students, as I walk with many of you and as I work with students and get to interact with students all over the place, it's crystal clear to me that we're in a little bit of a crisis Because for many of us, for many of us, we desire for God to be whoever we want God to be. That in fact, our desire is to shape God and make God into our image. And yet from the very beginning, God's desire was not to be shaped by you, but to shape you. And so the question we're going to wrestle with is, who is God? And here is why it is incredibly dangerous. I need some of my boys up here. I need Dylan, Kyle, and Larry. Come on up here real quick, guys. Give it up to these guys. Go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, follow me here. What we are going to do with this series is we are going to look at who God is as revealed in Scripture. But knowing that every single one of our temptations is to put on God what we want him to be rather than believing who he is. Knowing that that's that temptation, I want to set it up this way. So I want you guys to picture, if this is like a perfect picture of Kyle, a perfect picture of Larry, and a perfect picture of Dylan. I mean, don't they look pretty good? Like, they're pretty good, right? They're pretty good. Here's what we do with God. Here's what we do with God. God reveals himself to us, says, this is who I am. I want you to know me. And oftentimes we say, God, I I actually kind of have a different picture in mind. And so what I want you to do first is I want you to go ahead and put this over your head. Go ahead and put that on. There you go. There you go. And you can do the same thing, Dylan. Go ahead. Put that one. Go ahead. Put this over you. No armholes at all. (laughs) Boom. 
<laughs> just like a little uh, doll or something. All right. Um, the first thing we do to God, the first thing we do to God is we like to cover him up. We like to cover him up and we like to put him in a nice little box because we can't fully comprehend him. And so we're tempted when we come to our relationship with God and say, God, I, want, I like this about you, but I don't really like that about you. I can kind of understand this about you, but this part's really mysterious, and, and we're uncomfortable with that, and so we try to make God into our image. Another way of saying that is this. Has anyone ever done face painting before? So I bought some face paint, because this is what we like to do with God. So if Kyle is like the picture of God right now, which you're decent, okay, but let's say he's, 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 he's like the picture of God. Our approach oftentimes is not, God, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to see you for who you are. Instead, we say, you know what, God, I'm actually more interested in you being whoever it is that I want you to be, and that looks really nice. That looks really good. Anyone ever used this before? Not me. Uh, there we go. We're like, oh, that looks really good. Oh, oh, this is nice. All right, this is cool. Let's see. Let's see. I got a green one in here. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, wow. Check that out. Oh, isn't that good, you guys? That's nice. Like, oh, I really like that. I, th I think I have another color in here. We got the, uh, the old purpose orange. Let's see. Um, Oh, that's great. You know what? You'd look better in gold, so we're going to go with gold. We're going to go with gold, Larry. Here we go. So we take all these ideas of who God is and who ultimately we want him to be, and it's, that's right over your nose. That's just beautiful. Over your lips. That's great. Great. And instead of letting God be who God is, we prefer the picture of God that we paint him to be. And do you guys see what's dangerous about this? Is this is never the picture, this is never the picture that God desired us to have. That's gross, dude. I hope that doesn't, like, kill you. But see, you guys... When I think about oftentimes what I do to God, it's, hey, God, I'd prefer you to be more like me. I'd prefer you, God, to believe the same things I believe. God, I'd prefer you to not convict me about that sin. God, I desire that you not interrupt that part of my life. That, God, this issue in culture is a really big deal, and I want to be all about that, and so I want you to come on my team and be all about that as well. And the problem, the problem when we do this is we actually don't get a better picture of who God is, but instead we get a better picture of who we are. And instead of discovering and learning who God actually is, we just realize we've painted a God in our own image. And the reality is, what God wants to do, I believe, in this series and in a relationship with each one of us, is he wants to wipe away 
those preconceived notions. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I've never done this to you. This is cool, Dylan. But maybe for some of us, this series, this next three weeks, is going to be taking off the paint, taking off the pictures that we've put on God, taking off our own preconceived notions and our own desires for God to jump on board with my life and my agenda, and instead just get an actual better picture of who God is. We can take that off. And as we do that, as we do that, I believe through this series, we're going to actually see who God is, and not who we want him to be, but who he actually is. And so students, my hope and my desire is that throughout this series, you have an openness, that you have an ability to say, you know what, God, I want to learn who you are on your terms. I'm not interested in convincing you to be more like me I recognize that you desire for me to be more like you. And instead of me shaping you into my image, I want you to shape me into my image, into your image. <laughs> now, what if, what if, what if throughout this series, as you get a better picture of who God is, what if you might actually have a relationship with him that's deeper than just what you want him to be? Deeper than just someone you go to when things are tough or inconvenient. But what if as you get to know who God really is, you might actually fall in love with him and be willing to let go of whatever agenda you're holding on to and whatever picture of him you're holding on to and instead embrace who he really is. Let's give it up for these boys. You guys can have a seat. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up our scriptures. We're going to open up our scriptures, and we're going to look at a ton of verses together. The first thing I want to talk about as we begin to talk about God is that God is one. Okay, this is really significant. God is one. I want to show you in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. We're going to fly through these verses that are going to be up on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is one of the most important verses in the entire Old Testament. In fact, this verse is so important that most Jews, from the, from the moment it was written all the way up until now, I've been to Israel, I've seen this, they chant this three times a day over and over and over again to remind themselves that they don't believe in multiple gods, but they believe in one God. So it's essential that you understand as we're jumping in, who is God? God is one. But here's what's really interesting about God. God shows in all of his brilliance and in a way that I can't even fully articulate to you guys, nor can I even fully understand it. That God is one, but at the same time, his oneness is expressed in three intertwined, relational, unified persons. And so God throughout scripture is revealed as a father, as the son, and as the Holy Spirit. 
But it's important that we remember these verses. So it's not, you know, God, God, Father God is one God, Son God is two God, and Holy Spirit God is three gods. And so we as Christians believe in three gods. No, we as Christians believe in one God, but God is expressed through the form of three persons. And I, it's so hard to figure out an analogy for this. The only way I can think of it is, is if you took like a family photo. You've seen some of our family photos. We've got four kids. So there's six of us, my wife and I, and our four kids in our family, that if, if, let's say, Charlie, our oldest son, wasn't in the picture, the picture of our family would not be complete. That, in fact, it would be an inaccurate picture of our family. That our family unit as the Holmstrom family would be incomplete without Charlie. And, and in the same way, the Godhead, God is one, is expressed through Father, through Son, and through Holy Spirit. Now, I want to show you how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together to bring about the creation of the world, to reach us, to love us, to communicate with us. So we're going to look at a ton of verses real quick. Number one, we're going to see how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are behind the creation of the world. Let's look at Deuteronomy 32.6. Deuteronomy 32.6 says this. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father? This is actually the first place in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, that God is referred to as a father. Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? That's an incredibly important truth about you and about God. So when you're asking the question, who is God? God is a father who has chosen to create us, who formed us. This is incredibly important because there will be days where you wake up and you think, man, I'm worthless. I don't have anything to contribute. Nobody even sees me. I'm not a blip on anyone's radar. And you need to go back to verses like this and be reminded that you were formed by a father who loves you, who is your creator. But then throughout scripture, we find out it wasn't just the Father that created, but it was the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's look at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says this, in the beginning was the Word. We've talked about this before. When it says Word, it means Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a throwback to Genesis chapter 1, the first book in the Bible, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in this powerful moment, John, as he's writing his gospel to tell the world of this amazing Jesus that isn't just this baby that was randomly born or this interesting teacher who's got a lot of things to say or even a healer. No, Jesus was the creator of the universe. So you have Father as creator and you have Jesus as creator and then you have Holy Spirit. Look at Genesis 1 verses 1 to 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Do you catch it? God is trying to make it crystal clear to us that the the three in one the Trinity is what it's called. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit that make up who God is were all present at the creation of the world. Well, they're not only creator, but they are one. Look at John chapter 1, verse 18. John chapter 1, verse 18 says this. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. 
right here in this verse, and this counters um, other religions, you know, whether that's Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness that would believe that Jesus and God are two separate gods. Scripture is crystal clear that God is one, that Jesus was not a created being from God, but that Jesus was God Almighty. Let's look at another one. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. This means it wasn't like God was like, well, I can't really come down to earth, so like I'm just going to send Jesus, and like he's like as close as you can get to me. No, no, no. What it's saying is God literally is fully Jesus Christ. And then the last verse I want to show you in this section is Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6. It says this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is tying together those ancient beliefs from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, that the Lord is one. And that the Spirit and the Father and the Son are one. But not only are they the creator, not only are they one, but it is the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that give you and I access to God. Check out Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. I love this. Ephesians 2, 18. For through him, talking about Jesus, we both have access. He's talking about when he says both, he's talking about Gentiles and Jews, which essentially were the two groups of people back in Jesus' day. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, for through Jesus... All of us have access to the Father by one Spirit. That means the Father, Son, Holy Spirit work together in this beautiful way to give us access to God. Now, even as I say that, just think about that for a minute. That as you and I on our own are completely sinners set apart from God in his perfection, in his holiness, that you and I stand up to him and we got nothing to offer. And yet, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have access to the Father. This means, you guys, just think about this for a minute. This means when you open your mouths to talk to God, he is all ears. Not because you've done something great for him but because the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have done something great for you. That you have been invited, you have been given an all-access pass to a relationship with God, to an opportunity to communicate with God, to know him, to be able to answer the question, who is God? And that's not because of anything you have done or I have done. It's entirely because he has given us access to himself. He has made visible to us himself. Isn't that wild? I mean, just think about that for a minute. That God so badly wants you to know him. That the very thing that was separating you and him, he did everything to clear it out of the way so that you would have direct access to him. You guys, I'm ashamed to admit this, and I'm just going to say it, but my wife and I, we started watching the new Taylor Swift music, uh, the new concert on Netflix, okay? It's on there. We were like, what's going on, right? Here's the thing about the concert. 
Taylor Swift like sold out stadiums, right? Like these are not small concert venues. She literally sold out stadiums. And they show it through all these high-definition cameras. I mean, all these people that are sitting way up. I mean, they can't tell if it's Taylor or me. I mean, they would have no way of knowing who was on stage. They're so far away from Taylor. And she's like, I see you up there. And I'm like, you don't see them. You don't know them up there. But because of these cameras and because of the editors, because of what they've done, we're literally like zooming up and Taylor's right there and talking about our new songs and we're, we're seeing the screen. It's like we have this all access pass to this concert, to this experience that no one else had. And the God of the universe has given you even greater access to himself through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes I take that lightly and maybe we take that lightly. That when you and I say, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. The only reason we can say that and the only reason we can hear him and the only reason we can know God is because he has given you a backstage pass. He has given you an all-access pass that nobody else could and that you can never earn. Do you see how when you have a big picture of God, it makes you think, you know what, maybe this agenda item I'm holding on so tightly to, maybe this sin that has a tight hold on me, maybe this thing I'm doing in secret I don't want anyone to know about, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's not as good for you. I mean, think about like if, if my favorite artist, my favorite artist is Coldplay. I love Coldplay. I think about if I were to go backstage, if Coldplay were to say, you know, hello, Eric, like, I really want you to come back. And Chris Martin, I really want you to come back and like hang out with me and we'll write some songs, right? And like he invites me backstage. And I'm sitting back, that was a really good impression, by the way. I'm sitting backstage. Can you imagine if as I'm sitting backstage with Coldplay, with my heroes, if I'm sitting backstage and then Chris Martin walks out and I'm like, hey, Chris, so glad you're here. All right, here's what I want to do. I want you to come hang out with me. I want to introduce this friend. I want you to come. Come come on. You can jump in my Corolla. It's a really nice car. Um, you can jump in my Corolla. We're going to go. I want to take you to my restaurant. I want to do. It'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you recognize Chris Martin invited you backstage and now you're trying to dictate how the relationship goes? But let's blow that up. The God of the universe who was hovering over nothingness and brought everything into existence has given you access to him. I think when I remember that and know that, it humbles me. And it reminds me that I stand before the God of the universe who says, I want you. And I want you to know me. Not a, not a version of me that looks more like you. I want you to know the real me. Lastly, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see them having power. John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17. John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17 says, And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another advocate 
to help you and will be with you forever. Verse 17. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus says, right as he's about to leave, you guys, don't worry. I'm asking the Father to send you the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. And guess what? He's never, ever, ever, ever going to leave you. Do you know this? That, that if you're a Christian, you are never alone. If you are a Christian, and no matter what situation you're in, there's always two of you. There's always you, and there's always the Holy Spirit in you. This means, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how loud the lies get, no matter how insecure you feel, and if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and can give you comfort and peace and a reminder that you are never, ever alone. I think I shared this in one of the main services a while ago, but there was a time where I remember just feeling really alone. I think I may have shared this with you guys. I remember I was driving. I was just feeling absolutely alone. The circumstances that were going on were making me feel totally alone. Have you ever been there? But I had this realization as I was driving that I'm actually not alone. That even though I feel alone, and that feeling is true, I'm acknowledging that feeling is true, there is a truer reality. And the truer reality is that I am not alone no matter how much I feel alone. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not alone no matter how much you feel alone because the Holy Spirit is always with you. And so we see that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together, that they are one God, three different expressions. And what we're going to do for the next three weeks, beginning tonight and for two more weeks, is we're going to look in depth at the Father and at the Son and at the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the Father. Find me in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Here's our big idea for tonight. It's this. Our Heavenly Father has prioritized a loving relationship with you. That our Heavenly Father has prioritized a loving relationship with you. I want to start with 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So as we begin to understand the nature of the Father, the Father sent his Son, sent Jesus for us because he's patient with us, because he longs for every single person to know him. That is God's heart. That is the heart of the Father. And I recognize, even as I use that word father, there's some of you who you go, I hate my dad. He was the one that walked out. He was the one that doesn't want a relationship with me. He's the one who says such critical stuff to me. Is that what God is like? Is that what my father God is like? Absolutely not. In fact, Jesus taught us that when we pray to say, heavenly father, meaning he's a father that we can trust. He's perfect. I want you to learn a little bit more about him with me. Check out Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 6. Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 says this. For he, it's talking about the Father. 
For the Father chose us in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Pause there for a second. That you have been chosen by God. He's passionately advocating for you, interested in you, desiring you, and he has chosen you. Like he has laid his chips on the table. There's nothing he's hiding. He wants to make it crystal clear. He steps out in that risky way and says, I want you. The Father has chosen you, and he's chosen you to be holy and blameless. And this is important because I think it's my tendency to go, I'm chosen by God, now I can go do whatever I want. I'm chosen by God, and he's now on my team helping me accomplish my goals. But that's not what scripture teaches. And if we want a real picture of who God is as our father, we need to understand that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Now, we can never be those things on our own, And it is only because of what Christ has done that when God looks at us, he sees us as holy and blameless. But make no mistake about it. God's desire for your life as he enters into relationship with you is that he would shape you into his image, not you trying to shape him into your image. That God desires to make you holy as he is holy. This means he desires to make you more like himself. Knowing that that is going to take all the way up until eternity. But he's invested. He's in it. And he's chosen you. Then there's some interesting words in the next verse, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Let's go back to verse 5 real quick. There's some interesting words in there that I want to talk about real briefly. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. I don't know if you guys have had in your Christian friend group or whatever, the, the debate, the conversation about predestination or free will. But when you read words like that, maybe some of you are going, okay, so does God just like will that some, did God predestine that some would surrender to Jesus and others wouldn't? So does that mean some people don't have a choice whether they're going to spend eternity with him or eternity apart? That's an absolutely legitimate question. And from this passage, it can be a little bit challenging to know exactly what he's talking about. But before we look at that word predestined, I want to look at the word right after it, that he has predestined us for adoption to sonship. This means that God wants to bring you into his family, that the Father wants you to be a part of his family. This means... And when God looks at you and you receive him and you are in a relationship with him, that the Father says, welcome home. That you have been adopted. You have been chosen. That's an incredibly important feeling, but that's an incredibly important truth. To be adopted and to be chosen is a powerful feeling, but it's an even deeper truth because to be adopted by God means that for all of eternity, there's no separating you and him. There's no trying to earn your way into his family. There's no trying to prove that you're worth keeping around. Friends, it's with words like adoption that you can ask questions 
how much does my sexual identity actually shape my life? What I mean by that, it's, it's, it's when you understand that you've been adopted by God, that you can believe at a deep level that there is nothing more important to your identity than that truth. So what you like to wear, what city you grew up in, what your parents are like, what you've experienced, who you're attracted to, that all those other identities that in our culture try to get blown up as, man, this is who you are, the scriptures scream clearly, that is not who you are, first and foremost. Who you are is a child, an adopted child of God. And I just feel like in light of what we talked about last week, it's so significant for us to remember that our sexual identity, whether you're a same-sex attraction or whether you're attracted to the opposite sex, that that sexual identity that you're wrestling with, that does not determine who you are. But the fact that you are an adopted child of God, that has full claim on your life and when you believe that, it gives you the freedom to wrap the rest of your life around that truth. To believe that and to know that. That, that word predestination is, is really interesting, right? It begs that question. So are there some that God has chosen and some that he, he hasn't chosen? Well, I want to show you in another passage, Paul, again, is speaking in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And this is what Paul says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. What I believe scripture is teaching here, and there's a lot of really smart, brilliant theologians that would debate all of these topics, but what I believe scripture is teaching is that God has chosen all people that God foreknows who it will be that will respond to him, that will accept him, that will choose him back, and it is those that he predestined to be adopted into his family. And so this means every single person, every person in this room, every person on your campus, every person on the globe has a free opportunity to choose the God who chose them. God foreknows that, but he's not controlling that. He's allowing us as free agents to respond to his good grace. And this is where we're going to wrap up. But what is his desire? His desire is to shape us into the image of his son. So as we think about the father, who is God? God is our father. Whose desire is that you would surrender all other identities, surrender all other pictures you've painted of what you want him to be, and instead fully embrace him as your creator, as your sustainer, as one who has prioritized you, as one who in your small group you're going to read about provides for us, who is shaping us, not into what we want to be, into what he wants us to be. So for the next 35, 40 minutes, I want you in your small groups 
to read a story together, to read an ancient story together and to discuss further what does it mean that God is our Father. Come back next week as we begin week two of Who is God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for every single student here in the middle of the rain, in the middle of the craziness. I thank you that these students brave the crazy conditions out there to be here tonight to think deeper about who it is that you are, God. And would you protect us from making you into our image and instead allow you to make us into yours. So God, we love you and we thank you for the discussions that will take place in our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.